I never imagined that I would become a priest growing up. That was far from my mind, and it was not what I would have said as I was a young child whenever you would have asked me, what do you want to be? As a kid, I very young kid, I always remember desiring to get married and have a family. I also wanted to become a doctor, or at least something in the medical field. And certainly, like everyone else, I wanted to be happy. And so I definitely wanted to make sure that whatever I did, it was something that would make me happy. And for those reasons, I definitely didn't want to become a priest. Because my image of priesthood growing up was basically old men that just didn't want to get married, that I guess couldn't find a wife or something. And so that was basically the point of the priest. And, um, and I just didn't, just didn't want to touch that. The idea of priesthood to me growing up was just not as, um, I didn't have the full understanding that I have now. It was a very different perspective. And I know that we all have different perspectives on priesthood uh, because all of us have had different interactions with priests in our own life. I hope that most of you have had positive experiences with different priests in your life. Maybe they've given uh, good homilies or maybe they, you had a good experience with them in confession. Maybe you got to spend time with some of them and they, their personality, you know, you just really connected with them. And so you've had a good experience of priesthood, I hope. But I know and I, and I want to reverence the fact that certainly at least some of you have probably had some negative experiences from the priesthood. Perhaps a priest was rude. Perhaps a priest did something that was uh, scandalous. Perhaps uh, the priest was boring at mass or whatever it was. Like there was something perhaps for some of you that um, might have colored a more negative perception. But I want to talk a little bit about the priesthood and what it is fundamentally today because, as I mentioned before Mass began, this is the world day of prayer for our vocations. And the reason is because of the, the gospel reading, which happens every year on the fourth Sunday of Easter. And this is gospel text from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, where uh, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd, which it's a shame. We, we hear the first 10 verses, and it's verse 11 where he says, I'm the good shepherd. So we didn't actually see that. But if you open up your Bible, you'll see the very next line is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. But we did get the context in today's gospel. And this imagery of sheep and shepherding is just not one that's familiar to a lot of us because most of us are not in the agricultural uh, world, so it's just not a big part of our experience as it would have been for the first century Jews. But nonetheless, it's good for us to unpack a little bit about what Christ is getting at when he says that the sheep are in the sheepfold. What's a sheepfold? It's kind of like a, basically like a fenced-in area with one entrance, namely the gate. And he identifies himself as the gate. Jesus, before he says he's the good shepherd, he says that he is the gate. And he says that anyone who tries to enter the sheepfold or this pasture, this enclosed area of safety for the sheep, anyone that tries to enter in any other way other than the gate is a thief and a robber. In other words, he's identifying that there is evil out there. And that the sheep are vulnerable to those evils. And therefore the gate and also the shepherd who's at the gate is there to protect the sheep from those evils. But in addition to protection, the, the shepherd also leads his sheep from the sheepfold into the pasture so that they can eat and 
exercise or whatever. I mean, take care of the sheep so that they can live life abundantly outside of the sheepfold. And so all this analogy is working just to explain that the church is the sheepfold, the place where um, we, the sheep, are in safety. And there is one gate, Jesus, through which we enter into eternal life, the pasture. Okay, so Jesus chooses to identify himself as the good shepherd. So what does that have to do with priesthood? Well, as we know, priesthood is kind of a mystery. Um, in my experience, most people don't fully understand what it is. <clears throat> There's a lot of questions about what I might do throughout the week or what um, the role of the priest is really all about. Fundamentally, though, the priest is to be the image of Jesus in the world. And Jesus is identifying as a good shepherd, one who both protects from evil and guides to eternal life, protects from Satan, from sin, from the dangers of the, the uh, evils of the spiritual life, and one who guides, who, who shepherds his people to follow the Lord into eternal life. How does that play out practically? A priest does that uh, primarily through prayer, being a man of prayer, being a man, a bridge between heaven and earth who's, who's praying and close to the Lord and showing people how to pray, but also through administering the sacraments, especially the sacrament of the Eucharist, where we receive God himself through the sacrament and also the sacrament of confession where we're forgiven of our sins, something only God can do, but the Lord permits priests to do it in his name but also through his teaching and through his preaching because ideas are powerful and, and we are now living in a world that is no longer Christian by culture. Even though you may think that was the case back then, we are rapidly getting to a place where the culture is more and more not Christian, is more and more anti-Christian. So, uh, so part of the role of the priest is to protect us from dangerous ideas by teaching and by preaching and showing us the ideas of the gospel and how life-giving they are and how dangerous ideas contrary are to that. But also, and, and perhaps the majority of my time as a priest, is given to simply my presence to people. A lot of what I do is just meet with people. Sometimes in, in like more formal meetings types, uh, uh, types of um, meetings, but, but usually through, through like a, a spiritual counseling kind of situation where people will approach me and they, they just want to talk about the spiritual life. They might have, be going through a struggle. They might, um, they might have a, a challenge like encountering God or staying close to God, or they might need some help shaking free of some type of sin in their life. And so they come to me often through these one-on-one -on -one conversations. And, and really, uh, the priest's presence is where he shows his shepherding or at least where his shepherding becomes most alive. So in all these ways, these are uh, different things that keep the priest busy. I guess what I want us to think about, though, is the reality that it's no secret that there's a shortage of priests. And even worse, even a, a, a much greater shortage of women religious, joining religious communities, being sisters, and there's probably a, a long list of reasons why that's the case, and I'm sure we all have our theories. And there's been plenty of studies that have been done to shed some light on that. But one thing that's for sure is that we have, have uh, recent studies have shown that 
of recently ordained priests, 86% of them decided to discern priesthood because someone encouraged them to do it. A lot of times that was a priest, but often enough, it was another parishioner or someone in their family or in their friend group. 86% of them were encouraged, and a lot of them were encouraged by up to four people, four separate people that encouraged them to consider a life of priesthood or religious life. Now, what I know from my own experience is that it wasn't until I was in college that I was first invited by another person to consider that. I had heard talks in high school. I heard like generic talks and invitations, but like a personal invitation didn't come from until college. And a lot of reasons were for that because my family and, and the, you know, my extended family and my friend group, we didn't spend time with priests. Our idea of priesthood was just kind of like that guy on stage on Sundays and that's about it. And, and the idea of priesthood just seemed like a sad, sorry life. And so the idea of me, like, considering that life was really repulsive and scary and frightening. Much worse, because of that general idea that was shared in my, all of my acquaintances, as the Lord started to kind of get to my heart, I didn't feel like I had anyone to share that with. I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to about that. And I know, you know, now that we look back on it, you know, I know now that my mom really struggled with that. She, she saw my vocation at an early age, but she struggled, uh, which is very common and, and understood, uh, particularly because I was an only child and she so wanted grandchildren. And so she struggled a lot and, um, and, and she fought in her own heart my vocation to the priesthood. Well, three years into college... I'm about, you know, I'm only a year away from graduation. I'm in a serious relationship. We're talking about uh, marriage with my girlfriend. And I'm in this stage of life, like my future's planned and set. I'm ready to go. And it was at that time that my mom finally got to a place in her own heart, in her own prayer, where she was able to say, you know, Kyle, if you become a priest, I just want you to know that I will support you and I will love you. And at the time, like, I, I didn't want to hear that. At the time, I just thought that was totally random. Like, why are you bringing this up? But it was only a month later that I heard the call loud and clear from the Lord and was able to respond. And I know that that wasn't an accident. That, that wasn't a coincidence. I know that subconsciously, my parents' permission was that important for me simply just to be open to receive the call. Many of you are parents, and a lot of you are grandparents. And you may think, like, you know, if it's my kid, that certainly not my kid. That's for other people's children. You know, you already have your idea planned out of what your kids' ch- uh, futures look like. Or you say, oh, no, my kid's too worldly, or my kid's too sinful, or my kid's not smart enough, or whatever you might think. Like, you have all these reasons, but the, the, the fact is, There's no one personality of a priest. So none of those descriptions even apply. If if you have a child who's not married yet, they need to be open to this idea that the Lord might be calling them. They at least need to be open. And it's true that the majority of people are not called to priesthood or religious life, but some are. And consider how many young men and women 
don't answer the call because they don't have any support. And I hear it all the time when I talk to young men and women about vocations. Uh, a, lot, every, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll, they'll mention, like, I don't know, Father. Like, I, I feel like there's a little bit there and I might, but they're terrified. They are absolutely terrified of what their families might say, especially their parents. And they're also afraid of their friends, how their friends might judge them. And, and so what I want to invite us to, to consider is if a young man or a young woman came to you and, and they're like wondering about priesthood or religious life, what would you say to them? Would you encourage them to go live in the real world first and, you know, try to sin as much as possible to convince yourself you're not called to priesthood? Because we all do that, don't we? You say, oh yeah, go, go, go to college and like join a frat and you know, get drunk every weekend so that you can leave the Lord's presence and convince yourself that you'll be happy in the world. Sometimes we give that bad advice. Sometimes we say, oh no, like, um, oh, you have, you know, um, you're attracted to the other sex. So, you know, you must obviously be called to marriage. Well, that's really insulting as someone who is a priest. Just got to say, like, also bad advice. Sometimes we'll ask, like, uh, students, and it's like, you ever thought about priesthood? Oh, no, Father. I like girls too much. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Fantastic. That doesn't, that doesn't disprove anything. So now, let's talk about your vocation. <laughs> um, but, but, but I say this all kind of in jest, but, but I think the way in which we talk about priesthood and religious life is harmful, I think a lot of times it's harmful and it's destroying our vocations because we talk about it as if it's just another career among many. And what a lousy career that is. Or we talk about it as if it's just for the socially awkward that can't find a spouse. And what a tragedy that is. And if that's the only type of people that we end up ordaining, what a terrible church we would have. And, and we're the ones that are also the, the, the quickest to talk about how you know, we're, we're very picky, especially here in, in Lafayette, because we are kind of, we're a little blessed, and we have a lot of, a lot of young priests, but we're, we're quite picky, aren't we? We're picky with our priests. We tear them, you know, we analyze, and we like this priest or that priest, and we, all these little personality preferences. We're picky about them, and then, then we're the first complaint that we don't have enough priests, or that our priest is not superhuman and perfect. And part of it is because we're not inviting young men and women to consider this lifestyle, and then it's like, oh, yeah, well, okay, I'll be open to it, but not my children. And part of it is because we aren't convinced. We're the ones that are not convinced that it's actually a happy life, that it's actually a possible way to live your life to the fullest with abundance. We are not convinced for some reason. But I want to show you that it is an abundant life, that it is worthwhile that it is worth talking about to young men and women to dispel their fears of what the culture might think. You can be fulfilled if the Lord calls you, and the Lord is calling more men and women than what we see. What if we prayed for vocations? Imagine if we were a parish that actually prayed for the young men and women in our parish to pursue this lifestyle? What if we change the way in which we spoke about religious vocation, that it's not just for the socially awkward or the, the tepid, but that it's, it's for men and women that want to be fully alive? What if we spoke about it 
what if we stopped speaking about it as if it's a career and instead spoke about it as if it's a marriage? You see, when young men and women discern marriage, their whole idea, their whole, the whole lens through which they discern their spouse is about connection and relationship and a commitment and a desire to make a total gift of self to another person. It's the same exact way for priesthood and religious life. It's not a career. It's discerning, giving your whole life, body and soul, to another person, to Jesus Christ and to his bride, the church. If we changed our language and if we started praying for more vocations, I believe all of us would find a more alive church, would find more a church that is, is blessed with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is an honor to have a child or a grandchild that would be called to this way of life. It is a great joy to have a good friend that may be called and to be able to support them as they discern. And there's no shame if someone goes to seminary or goes to the convent for a few years and then comes back because they realize that the Lord doesn't want them to do that. There's no shame. That wasn't wasted time. A lot of people say, well, don't waste time. Like, go get your degree first. It's not wasted time. The men and women that come back very often come back better men and women, and therefore better husbands and wives, better fathers and mothers. My invitation for us today is just to to check the way in which we see this whole conversation, to check our language, to check the way we pray about these things. And to be quick to encourage, if you see a young man or a young woman who might have qualities that would serve the church well, simply invite them, simply encourage them. It doesn't have to be a taboo conversation. Maybe, just maybe, they're starving for just one human person to give them a verbal permission to consider this way of life. Amen. Oh, mm-hmm.